All right, um, we're, in, we're in a couple of interesting stories today on Abraham and Abimelech. Um, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 20. I invite you, if you've got a Bible, to turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some up front. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, snag one, take it home with you. Uh, it'll be our guest, uh, be, it's our privilege just to invest that in you. Um, but, you know, and, and as I've looked at these stories in the past, I just kind of just kind of glazed over them. You know, I was just like, it's like, yeah, you know, that's, that's, that was good. But it wasn't until I really went in depth in the last few weeks as I've been preparing for today um, that I saw how it really affected me because it reflected me. There's two stories we're going to hit. Um, we're going to hit, they're about five years apart of Abraham and Abimelech and Abraham and Abimelech. And you've got two totally different scenarios and you've got a very weak and flawed and failed Abraham in one story and you have a victorious God-centered um, Abraham in the other and, and I'll just let the cat out of the bag here's the close <laughs> the close to all this is that every one of us sometimes we're one of the Abrahams every one of us sometimes I mean, we're just weak and flawed, and we just totally screw up, even, even our witness. And it's like, if you really could look, it's, it's, a, it's as if we look and it's like, you know, I think I've set that person back <laughs> in their spirituality. I think, you know, that person's not even a Christian, and I think I've, I've, I've put them back a few months just because as bad as I failed. But then there's other times that, man, I mean, we're just, we're gospel-centered, and we're victorious in our lives. And what's beautiful is when we're there, man, God shows up and, and He draws people to Himself. But also what's amazing is that sometimes in spite of ourselves, even when we're screwing up, I mean, God, He goes around us if He has to. And He does His work. Um, and it's, I mean, it just brings a lot of hope. So, um, so there's a close. You guys can go ahead and go on home. Um, enjoy the day. Um, all right, let me just give you some, some background. Uh, we're going to go through the entire chapter of, of chapter 20 and uh, the last half of uh, chapter 21. So we've got a long way to go, a uh, short time to get there. A um, little, little background on Abimelech. Um, Abimelech most likely is not the name of this guy. Most likely, Abimelech was a title. The, the, the term actually means my father is king. And so it's probably among these... Philistines is who they are. Uh, it's probably a title uh, like, like Pharaoh. It's probably their prince, princely title. Um, and because cause Abimelech, this name shows up later on with, with, uh, with um, Isaac, with Jacob. Um, it shows up later on down the road. And most likely it's not the same, not the same guy. Um, it, it could be, but it probably isn't. Uh, probably just a title. For this guy. Background on the, the Philistines, they're critics, um, uh, doubters, skeptics, who they'll say, you know what, this is another reason why you can't trust the Bible, because this is about 2000 BC, and, and the Philistines weren't on the, on the scene here yet in, in, the, in Palestine, in the Holy Land. And uh, so they're like, you know, you just you can't trust the Bible. Well, but, but Philistines, what they were is they're sea peoples, and uh, they're most likely, I mean, the ones that were talked about in David's time, um, they, they came from the seas as well. This most likely was an, an earlier group of sea peoples. It doesn't have to be the same group or the same tribe, 
but it was a group that had come from the sea and had, that, that had landed at this point. And so it doesn't have to be the same people. So if anybody throws that up uh, to you, um, maybe just remember that to say, you know what, I think I remember this guy talking one time that, that it just kind of meant sea peoples and it didn't have to be the very same, very same folks. But Genesis 20, chapter 1, you guys ready to dive in? Let's go. Verse 1, from there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negeb, lived in between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Okay? Um, this is something that's happened before. Uh, back when he was in Egypt, the Pharaoh took Sarah. And it was a big, big problem. Um, and uh, at this point, Sarah is about 90 years old, maybe 89, 90 years old. She's, she's past menopause. It, it's obvious that in, in her years that she was just an absolute smoking, good-looking lady to be, to be desired. Um, in here, though, it, because of the way that it, that it talks, talks about her being taken, um, it, it may not have been about her looks. It could have been that it was some kind of a, a type of a political type of a treaty. Um, many times people would, they would, uh, they would swap wives within their harems, uh, and, it, and it, it was more than just like swapping a shoe or, or swapping money. It's like, okay, there are people that come from our bloodline, come from our families, and we're kind of traded up, and it should ensure that we, that we can get along. It could have been something like that. However, even if that were the case, this was one of the most cowardly uh, actions that Abraham had taken in his, in his life. He'd already done this. He'd already run the risk of, of the promised son coming by the Pharaoh. And God brought intervention during that time. Uh, and, and here he's, he's, doing, he's doing it again. And, and guys, I, I, just, I, I can't understand this at all. I mean, he was, he was told that his son was going to come within a year. And then he lets his wife go to another man. I mean, did, can you put, put two and two together there? I mean, if she goes and is in the harem of Abimelech and, and she's pregnant during that time while, while, he's, while she's there, what are people going to think? Are they going to think that the, he, he belongs, that the child belongs to Abraham who's like, like 99, 100 years old? Or Abimelech at whatever age that he is. Well, they may, they may assume it's Abimelech, but the, but the point is they would not know. It wouldn't be credible for all of the future Jews to look back and say, yeah, Abraham's our dad, and everybody else say, yeah, it was really Abimelech. No, it wouldn't make, wouldn't make any sense. And so, so because, of, because of Abraham's cowardice, because of his lack of faith, lack of belief, in his God, and in his promise, when he's only a year away. He compromises. And the story, the story has the possibility of being tainted and being messed up. God's story. Um, the child is going to come before long, and he compromises. But the beautiful thing is, is that God has a mission. God is telling a story here. And when God has a mission and God tells a story, He will get His job done. 
You know, as we talk about the bride of Christ, which, which is kind of this strange term, especially for guys, you know, to think through and, and to consider that we're a part of a bride. Now, now here, the deal is you're not a bride, all right? Ladies, if you're married, you're a bride within that. And, and girls, it's, it's easy for you to think of yourself as a bride. Men, we don't have to think of ourselves as brides. Don't, don't go Dennis Rodman and wear that wedding dress, okay? Um, but, but we're a part of this church. We're, we're a part of what God is doing. And, and Jesus died for His bride. He died for His sheep. He wasted, he wasted none of His mercy. He wasted none of His grace. There was, there was nothing that was lost. That every bit of it would be captured in, in a group of people that God has, has chosen. And I don't know why He's chosen. There's no reason why He would choose me or choose you. He's just, he's just good and merciful. But He's drawn this bride together. God has a mission. He will accomplish it. And when Abe steps out of the mission, just like when we step out, a lot of times God will go around. God presses in, and He presses in at this point. Verse 3, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now can you imagine this? Can you imagine being woken up in the middle, middle of the night with this a night terror uh, and this, this presence of a, of a God? He doesn't understand necessarily who this God is. But coming and saying, you are dead. Done deal. Now, Abimelech had not approached her. Now, that, that, means, that means that he'd not been intimate with her uh, face to face, and that certainly would mean that they had not had sex. So he said, Lord... Will you kill an innocent people? Now, the, the word Lord that's used here is not Yahweh. The, the name Lord, it's, it's just it's Lord. It's, it's, just a, it's respect. He is bowing. He doesn't fully understand this, this God and who He is, but he is, he is humbling Himself before this God and just said, just said look, look, are you, are you going to, will you wipe out an entire people? Now, here's the deal. As you're going to start seeing, there's something that's wrong with his body and something's wrong with the bodies of, of some of the ladies in his harem within his, within his kingdom. And so he knows something's wrong. Something is going on, going on wrong here. And he, he undoubtedly has heard these stories of Sodom and Gomorrah being wiped off the map. You don't live in that area and not hear about whole towns being covered by this burning sulfur and chemicals and earthquakes and whatever it looked like. He knew about this. And, and probably people were like, there's a God involved. There's a God. There's a really, really mad God who destroyed all these people. So he's like, oh man, I wonder if it's the same God. He's like, are you going to destroy all the people? Please, please don't destroy all of the people. He said, uh, did he not say himself to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. And then he states to, to God, he says, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I've done this. And then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you've done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. And, and the integrity of her heart, again, I mean, we, we don't know exactly what was going on here. If it, I mean, wife stealing certainly was a problem at this time to where they'd steal a beautiful woman and they would kill the husband. That's what they would do. And as we're going to see, that's what Abraham feared here. 
And so it doesn't seem like it's just innocent, as innocent as just being a political treaty and alliance. It's probably more than that of this guy just ba- having enough power that he basically says, you know, I, I can get anybody that I want. And he, he wants her and Abraham quickly shooed her away and took her. His, his wife, who prob- maybe at that time was already pregnant. Maybe so. Mo- most likely she wasn't pregnant until after this release that we're going to see from, from Abimelech, but, but certainly within a year of giving birth. Um, it's amazing to see that, I mean, God is saying, I, you know, I've seen your heart, I know your heart in here, but I want you to know something, Abimelech. I'm the one that kept you from sinning. I'm the one that made you not able to touch her. And so we don't know exactly what happened. Most likely there's some kind of a, a sexual dysfunction uh, within his body that took place to where he probably was not able to have sex at all with his, with his harem, that something shut down in his plumbing, that he was not able to press forward with, you know, with the delight of, of women uh, that, that, he, that he would have enjoyed. And uh, of course there's a, we're going to see there's a barrenness that took place uh, in the woman. Now, now all of this, as, as it plays out, it means that this is not just like a day or, or a week. I mean, this, we don't know how long, but it, it, pro- it may have been anywhere from, from a few weeks to maybe, maybe three months. It might, it might, this may have happened and takes you right up to the time in which then they get back together and she gets pregnant. That's probably, that's probably what happened. This is probably uh, upwards of three months that she was with that she was with him. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine being the guy, the man of faith and the man of, of promise? And hey, in a year you're gonna have you're gonna have that that promised son. And and uh, and and by the way, we're, we've we've gone backwards. We, we've been dealing with uh, Ishmael and and uh, we've we've been dealing with Islam. Um, we, we've gone backwards. This is actually bef- before Hagar and Ishmael were, were sent out. So he's still got. Hagar and Ishmael. He's got his son Ishmael at this point in this story. When we hit the next story, it's going to be after all that. But uh, he, he's... Can you just imagine what he's thinking? It's like my wife, and she's supposed to give birth in a year, and she's with this man. And, and, and it's part of the reason when we, when we got to that story of Hagar and Ishmael, why, why, why it says that he consistently was going before the Lord just saying, God, let it be Ishmael. God, just let the promise be through Ishmael. You can guarantee he's praying during this time, oh Lord, may it please be Ishmael. Because I don't know what's going to happen with my wife. Can you imagine this, this Weasley husband doing this? I, I, I can't. I've been cowardly in my life, but nothing like that. I'm... I'm I'm just telling you, you, you men who are married and you men who are not married and you boys that are listening to my voice and young men, you never, ever, ever compromise your wife and your family. Never. You never turn your wife or your family over for destruction. We'll come back to this. I think there's there's some insight to common grace that's here and some insight to spiritual warfare. Common grace. Um, grace in general is something that's applied to an unbeliever which makes them born again. It, 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 uh, it brings them into the kingdom of God. It changes their heart and they're able to then place faith in Jesus Christ, turn to Him, turn away from their wickedness. 
Um, that's grace happens and it turns non-Christians into Christians and grace continues to flow in our lives. Um, but, but there is a common grace that takes place. It's a thing that, I mean, to where God doesn't just allow the whole world to shut down. Um, this is an insight here to where even among non-believers, those who do not follow God, that God is good enough that He actually keeps them from complete self-destruction from complete implosion of their own selfishness and self-worth and self-worship. God is so good that He protects us even from ourselves. Some of you guys just think about, think about the day that you Christians. Think about the days, the years before you were, you were a Christian, especially those of you who came to Christ later on as a teenager or as an adult. And you think back, and, and I'm telling you, if you pray about this, take some time, get a piece of paper, and just say, God, will you bring to mind some, some things in my life where you obviously protected me before I, was, before I was even saved, while I was still under wrath? And you're patient with me? And I'm telling you, God, He'll just start to go ping, ping. He'll just start showing you how He was faithful, and He, he kept you from yourself. I, I'm telling you, now, I, I became a Christian at, at eight years old, but I wasn't, I wasn't married until I was 21. And at about 13, in fact, earlier than that, man, the hormones, they start, they start kicking off big time, you know, in, in, in young, young men and young women. And I've got to be honest with you, though, I had been taught to keep myself pure and, and, and holy, you know, before God and, and to, to not give myself sexually to someone else. I've got to be honest with you, I, I wanted... I wanted to lose my virginity. I did. I really did. There were times in, in dating relationships that, man, I, I was just like, oh, man, maybe, maybe tonight would be the night. And, man, I, it was, you know, I, I, it just, I, I, wanted, I wanted to lose my virginity. You know what God did? God, God protected me in, in, in that, in, in, in spite of myself. In spite of myself, I, I went to the altar as, as a virgin. And I, and I thank God for that. I thank God that my wife Danielle is the only one that I've made love to. And I'm so grateful for it. And I just, I'm grateful. And, 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 that, and, uh, that, that, and you can look at that. You can look in your own life and just say, man, God, thank you. Times in which I was just running away from you. And you, you were so merciful. You kept me from destroying myself and destroying others and, and of course then there's other side of the story sometimes god he's loving enough to allow consequences to be our tutor to be our teacher and uh and he, he does teach us um I'm, I'm very grateful for for common grace though that that he spreads out that sometimes even as non-christians he he doesn't allow us to implode i think there's some insight for spiritual warfare here as well that god is the one that steps in for his people I mean, apply this to your prayer life. Ask God to intervene in your life. He is active and He's busy, but you need to ask Him. You need to go to Him and say, God, would you please intervene in this situation? Would you please help me in this relationship? Would you please, God, help with this external pressure that is pressing me to, to, to abandon you and just to, to live... A, to live a sinful life, would you please intervene into my life? And I mean, ask God. I mean, one of the things that needed to happen, that needed to happen here, is is there needed to be a change of heart in Abraham's life? 
so that he didn't, he didn't follow this, these, these lies. He didn't promote deception. And so, knowing that sometimes we do that, you need to ask God, God, would you please change me and change my heart to where I, instead of running away from you, I run with you, God. Please change my heart. But, but again, the insight here is this is a God that He sometimes, He goes around and protects His mission and protects His people even when His people are running away from Him. That, that means that's a God you can go to Him and say, Lord, you know this person in my life and they're being an enemy of the cross. They're being an enemy of mine. And, and there's, there's salacious things they're saying about me. There, there's all kinds of gossip and they're, they're trying to destroy my credibility in my name. They're trying to, trying to get me fired from my job. They're trying to t- tell people I'm cheating on tests. There, there's people out there, they're, they're trying to destroy my, my relationship with my girlfriend, with my fiance, or, or even in my marriage. God, I pray, would you intervene? And I'm telling you, God, man, He's, he's there. God is he's, he's a warrior. God is, God is not this measly little sixth grade boy that's thin as a toothpick. God is a mighty warrior that's going to accomplish His will. Ask Him and say, God, I love You and I trust You. And I ask You that You would just press in, Lord, that even in areas that I don't know, even where I don't know where to ask, God, would You please do it? And don't, don't You be a person that says, well, I believe in the sovereignty of God, so I don't think I, don't think I need to pray because God's just going to do whatever He wants. You are being a disobedient jerk. God said to pray. He said to approach Him. Come to him. I'm telling you, you need to analyze your prayer life. And you need to God, you need God to convict you. Because if you're not praying much, and if you and if and I'm telling you, if it's just these cliche prayers, if it's just the blessing, and that's your prayer life, you're being disobedient and you're missing out. Because you're not going to see when God intervenes. You need to be very diligent, specific with your prayers. And say, God, please. Please work in this life. Please, I mean, we've got our redemption door over here. We're praying, God, please save this person. Please save, save this person. I, 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 uh, Rich, you've got to come up and see this later. Last week after we were done, I, just, I couldn't help it. I had to go and find your initial, Rich, where it was just an R that I put on months ago, and I put on the Rich Leonard Save 2010. You know, you, need to, you guys need to, need, need to be praying for the people up there. You need to be asking God, who else do I need to be engaging with the, with the gospel and uh, God, God will press in. Verse 7, Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know, what, know this, you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So I mean, God, God's not, he's not messing around here. He's like, look, this is a very big deal. You're messing with my story. Okay? You got Abraham over here. Abraham's not the hero. It's very evident here. He's not the hero. But God is the hero. And God's telling the story. And he says, He's saying, I am gonna bring Jesus through Abraham, even after I go, even after I go around Abraham to make this happen. That's how great, big, and powerful God is that he goes to this unbeliever, maybe a pagan man, reveals himself. And so Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants, all of them. He says, guys. I mean, he didn't wait. 
He doesn't wait. I mean, he's, he's getting up. He's getting up really early. He says, "Wake, wake up, all of our all of our key leaders. Bring everybody in here." He tells them what's going on. It says, "And the men were very much afraid." You better believe it. Again, they knew about Sodom, Gomorrah. They're like, "Oh man, oh man!" And the king's been sick, and all the all the ladies, and harem, and they've been they've been sick. This this is not this is not good. There's a there's a mad god around here. They're like, you smell brimstone? Mm, no. Um, here's, here's, here's an interesting note. This is a spiritual non-believer. He's spiritual. He's open, he's open to hearing things of the spirit world. He's open to God's. There are friends in your life. There's colleagues. There's neighbors. There's people God's brought in your life there's people got that god's going to bring into your life that they're not a follower of christ they're not surrendered to jesus but they're very spiritual Man, engage them engage them with the gospel take jesus to them don't don't wait don't wait for them to to come to you go to them verse 9 then abimelech called abraham and said to him what have you done to us and how have I sinned against you that you've brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You've done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Have you ever had a non-Christian rebuke you for not being a good Christian? I have. I've had it happen. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a humiliating point in your life. When someone who doesn't follow your God comes up to you and says, I don't think you're being faithful to your God. I don't think you're living the life that you're supposed to do. Look at the four questions. What have you done to us? I mean, they're, they're like, are you, are you kidding me? You made the God angry? Why did you do this? How have I sinned against you that you brought on me and my kingdom such a great sin? Do You know, there's non-Christians out there Listen to me. It's sitting here today, listening to this in the future, watching this on a, on a vodcast. There, there are people, there are people in your life, for, for some of you, because of the rebellious life you're living right now, because you're running away from God. There are people in your life that they could ask you this. If they knew, if they knew to ask you this, they probably would. They'd say, you know, what have I done to you that, that you would live your life this way? There's destruction happening to you and to me and around us because you're not following your God. Why would you hate me so bad that you wouldn't live for Jesus? You've done things to me that ought not to be done. Ouch. Is there anybody in your life right now that they could say that to you? That they'd say, what you've done to me, man, it's nobody should do that. And then finally, what, what did you see that you would do this thing? And, and, and I think that's partially, it's like it, it points us to our perspective because we act according to our perspective. We act according to our worldview. It's like, what, what's going on in your eyes and the way that you see things, that you're living the way 
But you are. What, what is your perspective, Dave? What, what's your worldview? What need, what, why is it this way and that you would do that? Have, have you ever had a non-Christian rebuke you or get disappointed in you? Man, I, I didn't think Christians used that language. Wow, I, I didn't think Christians slept around. Christians go to strip clubs? Christians, come on, Christians really don't commit adultery, right? That, wow, man, I saw you partying the other night. Man, I, I, didn't, I didn't think Christians were okay with getting drunk. It's a, it's a slippery slope because there comes a point in a person's life between a Christian and a non-Christian that you, you live life, the rebellious life too long and they'll get to a point where they're not disappointed. And so there, there may be somebody in here that that may be where you are. Is you're past, you're past the disappointment stage. They just expect you just to live like everybody else. It's happened to me when I was an older teenager. Um, I would go to go to summer camp, Christian summer camp, and man, God would always He'd always be there, and He'd do some amazing things in my life. And I'd come back and tell my friends, "Man, I'm not partying anymore. No. I'm, I'm I'm done with that." A couple weeks later, my spiritual hot flash was over. Right back into things. And I remember uh, when God really, the big moment that God got a hold of my life. And I, and I remember I was afraid. I, I, was, I had that fear. I was like, God, I, I, I don't want to go back and make a mockery of you anymore. I'm tired. I'm tired of that. I'm tired of going back and just having a a decision and a rededication and then a couple weeks later it just means nothing. I'm tired of that, God, and I'm afraid. I, I, I don't know what to do and, and there was a wise pastor that just said, Dave, what other option do you have? The king of the universe is he's drawing you near and he's with you and he'll empower you and he's got all the victory that you need. I'm like, really? Can he help me? And of course, tell me, you're not going to be perfect. Jesus didn't die for you because you're perfect or for you to be perfect, but to be perfected. It's like, God will, God's victorious and He's with you. And I remember coming back and, and not immediately, and I had, I, had the, I had the fake ID. I was the guy that could buy the beer for, for the parties. And, and, uh, um, and they're immediately like, hey, Dave, we've got this going on. And I'm like, no, guys, you know, Jesus. Jesus has got a hold of my life. And they're like, oh, okay, all right, we'll call you in a week. And I did. A week later, you know, hey, Dave, man, you ready? This, this is going on, and, you know, come on, jump in. And I'm like, no, man, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm done with that. I, just, man, well, I love to hang out, you know, but not like that. Okay. Call you in a couple of weeks. And, and I'm, I'm so thankful, not because I was so great and I finally figured it up and pulled my bootstraps up and I'm strong enough finally and you know it's that wasn't it 
It's that I, I repented and I believed. I believed in God. Rather than believing in myself, feeling like oh, i got to do it. I believed in God. And He was the one victorious. And, and certainly I've screwed up a ton since then, but, but man, God, God's uh, faithful to bring some redemption. Um, verse 11, Abraham said, I did it. This is the reason why. I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. So he, he feared for, for his life. Besides, she's indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became, when, and she became my wife. And so, so again, he feared for his life. Guys, this is, this is the same guy that gathered up some of his men and some of the other men around him from other tribes, and they went and they whipped some kings to rescue Lot and his, and his people. I mean, this, is, this guy's a warrior. Abraham, he's not, he's, he's not someone who just by himself is afraid. He's a leader among leaders. And he's done some amazing things to protect his people. But you know what this shows me? This shows me and you that at, in our own strength, we can reach the ceiling to where we can do no more. And from that point on, we must either fear, we, we, we show what we worship, we'll either fear the circumstance or the people, or we will fear God. And when that time comes, just know that you will go to what you fear the most. And don't fear the circumstance. Don't fear the people. Fear God. And I mean, not where you're... You're shaking in your boots that, that he's going to strike you dead, but just, God, I, I, I believe in you more than I believe in the sin. I believe in you and more than I believe in the bully or, or, or that horrible boss. I believe, I believe in you, Lord. But, but here he didn't. She's my sister, daughter of my father. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place in which we come, say of me, He is my brother. He made this decision about 25 years ago when they started this. He's like, look, honey, wife stealing, all this pro- there's all kinds of problems. When the time comes, we will just kind of stretch the truth a little bit. We'll deceive them, say that, say that you're my sister, he's my, he's my brother, and, and we'll be okay. And honey, I'm, I'm sorry. I hope, I hope it doesn't come to that because I, I know it's kind of icky to think about what's going to happen. But at least, at least we can live in you know, being nomads, being aliens in, in, different, in different lands. Um, I, I think it informs us a little bit that there may, be, there may be decisions you've made in your life or there may be things, stones that you built or like, you know, there, there are things back in your life that are like, man, I will always stand for this and I will always do this and when this happens in my life, I'll make sure that I, that I counter with this. And, and I'm telling you that as you grow in life, you need to continue to immerse yourself in the Bible, be, be going before the Lord in prayer, and you need to sometimes go back and say, God, will you help me look at some of these foundation stones in my life and make sure that they're sure? Because there, there's probably, in fact, there, you can count on it, there's things in your life that if you look back, there are things in which you look at and you say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm still standing on that. Oh man, if I make a decision based upon that, old conviction there's going to be destruction ask God ask God 
Ask a person that's close to you. Ask a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, and just say, you know what? Is there, are, there old, are there bad foundations in my life? Are there things in my life that you've seen that have continually caused destruction in my life that, that maybe I don't see? That's the reason why God doesn't call you to be a Christian, to be alone. He calls you to be a part of the church. He calls you to live life out together to where you give the keys to your life to someone, they give them to you. You call each other, you rebuke each other, you, you, you challenge each other, and you say, you know what, you may not see this in your life, but danger! Look out. You've got to do that. Ask God to show you. Ask other people to show you. He, he told, he told this, this lie. Um... The stretching of the truth. And I asked, uh, asked my kids, like, you know, I said, I, I need a rubber band to help me out with something. And, and, uh, and JP, he, he brought me a, a silly band. You guys have seen these things, these silly bands? It's silly because pe- you, people pay like a buck a piece for these things. That's what's so silly about them. But he brought me one. A ru- it's a rubber band, and it's in the shape of the heart. And he had no idea that this is going to be so, so good. It, it, imagine this as, as the truth. And, and what we do, when we, we, distort, we distort the truth, and, and you take, take a, 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 it takes a pure heart, and, and it, it distorts it, it, it twists it up. But, but what we do with, with it is, is if, we're, if we abuse the truth, we're trying, we're, we're trying to do one of two things. Either what we're doing is we're trying to we distort it and we're turn, we have to turn it on someone else. And it becomes, a, it becomes weaponized, the truth does, as it's distorted. And we're aiming this, this lie, this distortion at somebody else, and it's going to sting them. It's going to harm them. But if any of you guys have, have played with rubber bands well enough, people ducking, you know, you, you know that sometimes before you get it off and, and shoot somebody else, sometimes it, bam, it, it comes back and it, and it, shoot, it gets you. It, just, it, it, it flips the wrong way. And it stings you and it hurts you. And that's what the distortion of your heart, the distortion of, of the truth, what, what it does. And ultimately what, what happens is it, it takes the truth and it, as, you, as you stretch it, it, as you go, it go, bam, and it breaks. The truth is harmed. Your heart is harmed. Your credibility is lost. We, 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 have to, we have to be people of integrity. You know, I, I, I try to tell the kids, uh, ours, um, man, you know, we, we all make mistakes. We, we, always, we, we all screw up. Um, and sometimes we do it on purpose. Sometimes we've got... I mean, we, we mean to do it. Sometimes it's an accident. Sometimes we willfully do it. But, the, but it's very important that when it happens, you, you own up to it. That you face the consequences of, of your actions. Um, but you don't, you don't twist your heart. You don't twist your tre- credibility and dis- distort it because then people will not trust you. Verse 14, Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and male servants... Uh, female servants, gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah, he said, Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone that you are vindicated. 
And so Abimelech, he, he obeys this God with a little g, uh, according from his perspective. And, and it's interesting, he, he even gives a little bit of sarcasm in here when he's talking to Sarah, you know, who's been with him days, weeks, maybe some months, you know, kind of looking over and, and said, uh, so, well, Sarah, you know, I've given your brother a thousand pieces. It's kind of, you know, he just makes the point, he's like, you know, he's your husband. Come on, you were deceiving me too. Abraham, though, is protected in the middle of this because this becomes a type of a, of a treaty in him giving things to him. Uh, to God. And, and I'm, what's, this, this reveals that God is he's true on His promises. That God was going to bless Abraham even in spite of Abraham. That's grace. That's what grace is. But Sarah's name was vindicated. He wanted everybody to know. He's like, hey, everyone, just so you know, I did not touch her. I never did. She's vindicated. She, she can be looked on as being pure and holy you know, with, with her brother husband. Verse 17, Then Abraham prayed to God. God healed Abimelech and also healed his wife and female slaves so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Another reason why we know that time had elapsed for them to understand that they were barren. Barrenness had took place. Abraham was an unfaithful, an unfaithful prophet, you know, up to this point, an unfaithful priest at this moment. But God was his was faithful to his promise that he said, I will bless the nations through you, Abraham. See, it's it's not about Abraham. It's about God. It's about it's not about Abraham's name and fame. It's about God's name and God's fame. Now, now quickly, I want to transition us to Genesis 21. A few years have passed at this point. We've had Sarah's pregnancy. Isaac's been born. He's been weaned. So he's, you know, uh, at this point, two, three, four years old. Could be past that. Just because we don't know how much further after the Hagar-Ishmael story. Hagar and Ishmael have been sent away. Um, But, you know, maybe four to seven years have passed between these conversations. Genesis 21, verse 22. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my, my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you sojourned. He's, he's coming to him. You have, this is two princes, you guys. These are, this is two men that have thousands of people you know, that follow them and, and that look to them as, as leaders. But he's coming to them and he's like, look, I mean, this is, I mean, this is, this is an example of, of a peace treaty that's, that's being done here in the Middle East uh, that was done well. Um, and he's coming to them and he's like, look, I need to know that I can trust you because, well, you know the story. And so Abraham said, I will swear. Verse 25, when Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water, um, Abimelech's servants had seized. And so at this point, Abe immediately tests the treaty. He immediately says, well, okay, now that we've made this, made this, uh, this treaty together that we'll, we'll have each other's backs, we'll not go to war with one another, I need to let you know that some of your folks have taken a well 
from us. And again, he's an alien in the land. It's, he doesn't own uh, this land. Well, he, he was given some land by Abimelech back here, but, but wells back in those times among nomads were so very important. Um, some of the wells, some of them were like tw- six feet across and, 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 you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 feet deep. You know, some of them were 12 feet across. And it took a ton of work to, to get to, to the water that was down at the bottom. And, uh, and so it was very important that they had they a had, uh, faithful water uh, source. Verse 26, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. All right? And so at this point, this... This isn't necessarily about the peace treaty. The peace treaty was, was done already. This is him saying, look, this is what, how you can trust that I'm being honest about this well that's here. And he goes further. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And the Bimelech said to Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? And he said, these seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. So it's interesting because you have these, these lambs, which always, you know, it's a, it's, it just continues to point, to point to Jesus as being the ultimate Lamb of God. But you have seven, and, and, and seven was a holy number um, even back then. And, and, and so it was, it was, this brought more credibility. It's like, you can trust me. I swore it already, but here's how you can... You can trust me. I'm sure I'm being credible here. Verse 31. Now don't miss this. Therefore the pl- that place was called Beersheba because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, and Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. Now guys, here's how all of this pulls together. This Abraham we saw in the first Abimelech story, and the Abraham that we see here now. Abraham was a changed man. Before, he'd been waiting, he'd been waiting 25 years for the promise. And he had Ishmael, but he still didn't have a son yet. He'd compromised. Compromised his wife again. Pimped her out. But he's changed now. He held the promise in his hands. He held Isaac. He spoke with him. He laughed with him. He threw him up in, in the air. And, and what's beautiful is there's now a redemption that takes place with, with his friend, with, with, this, uh, with Abimelech. You see, whereas before he wasn't, he wasn't faithful to God, whereas before... He was compromising and, and he lied and he deceived just to try to save his own butt. But here you have a man not strong in himself, but a man who's strong in God. And a man who's he's, he's standing before this guy and he's, he's saying, man, I will be true to my promise. And before Abimelech had encountered God, but it's not clear it's not clear that he even understand who this God, God was. Maybe he's the God of Abraham. But here we have Abraham talking, talking about planting this tamarisk tree, 
planning it in the, the name of the Lord, which that, that means the name is actually El Olam, which means the God of all eternity, to where He's pointing out to us, He's like, this is the God that has no beginning. He has no end. His character is eternal and is unchanging. He can be trusted and He will be faithful. And He planted a tree. Some say it was an entire orchard. But, but what this is, is this is another place that became a gathering place where people would come and that they would call upon the name of the Lord. They would come and He would preach about His God. And undoubtedly, that this would be a place where Abimelech would come back and, and that Abraham would, would tell him, look, this is, this is about my God. And He was the one who spoke to you. He's the one that protected me even when, even when I, was, I was the opposite of courageous. And He's the God that will bless you as well if you turn to Him. He, started, he would bring Abimelech to that tree. He would bring others to that tree and tell them about His God. And the invitation is right there for you and for me as well that we bring people to the tree. That we bring people to the cross. And we say, there's, there's where my God, where he, where he bled and where He died because He loved us too much to leave us in our sin and in our rebellion. And He came and, and He injected Himself into our life and He uh, it's opened my eyes and opened my ears. And, and we want to tell everybody that salvation is found only in this God, and we bring them, we bring them to the tree. And I, and I challenge you guys, man, please don't just sit here and just say, man, what, that was a pretty cool narrative. That was, a, that was an interesting story, and I learned a little bit about the Philistines and stuff like that. Please don't go away from here without understanding we've got to bring people to the tree. We, we want to be a missional church. That as we gather here, please know that you need to go and bring people into your life to the tree, to the cross. Please know that you go and you bring people to your kitchen table. And you have dinner with them and you look for the opportunities. And you don't have to leverage it or manipulate it, but you look for the God-given opportunities to have spiritual conversations that turn into gospel conversations so you can take them to the cross. That you invite them to your journey group and when they go and they do things that you invite them in and, and then you talk about the tree, you talk about the cross. That you don't waste our opportunities where we're, we're in this building here and, and you say, man, come to me, come with me to the brewery. That man, every one of us that sometime this week we, we ask somebody, man, come to the brewery with me because you want to bring them to the tree, you want to bring them to the cross. We, we can't wait. We can't wait, you guys. Huntsville has plenty of people that need to be brought to the tree. There's people all over this world. He's going to send us out. He's going to send some of you out for a week or two weeks, a month. Someone's going to send you out for a year or two years. Some of y'all, he's, he's going to transform your whole life. You're going to go somewhere else and, and, and tell them you're about the tree. Come to the tree. Come to the cross. Because we need the cross. I love the redemption in this story. You guys, sometimes we're the old Abraham. We screw things up. We lie. We deceive. Our life, man, it, it's no different. There's no more joy or peace or meaning in our life than, than others. But there's redemption. One of my friends that I used to party with and doubted me, and God, he's come to know Christ in the radical way 
I'm like, man, thank you, Jesus. In spite of me. And sometimes in me and through me. And that's what he wants. And there's maybe somebody in your life that's like, man, oh, I've screwed that up. I'm telling you, man, God brings redemption. Go to them. You don't have to take them to you. Take them to the tree.